We are the table and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at the table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At the table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope that this message moves you forward. The Bible comes up, talks to us and tells us and teaches us that prayer is essentially the communication between us and God. We have to know that prayer is not an afterthought. Last week, I reminded you about how frivolously we sometimes are with our prayers. We pray kind of, sort of, when we eat a meal. Sometimes we pray right as we lay down in the bed. But you have to know that prayer is so essential, and it's actually the primary thing that we ought to get in the habit of doing. And it takes a lot of discipline to do that. The Bible records that we ought to pray without ceasing. That means without stopping. So instead of looking at people when they're talking to themselves, maybe they're praying. I don't know if they are or not, I'm just saying. Maybe you should take the chance at looking a little strange as you walk around constantly in prayer, constantly seeking what God would have you to do. Just maybe if we would pray before we do something, then we wouldn't pray so desperately after we've decided to do a thing and want him to fix it. So today we're going to be talking about praying through sin and repentance. How do I pray through sin? Why is that critical? Our passage for today is coming from 1 John second chapter. I'll just give you two verses um, to start. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. That'll be on the screen. Um, You can take a picture of it, make a note of it, because as I always tell you, no matter what, no matter what I read, no matter what I tell you, what should you do? Read it for yourself. Okay, there's plenty of people telling you what thus said the Lord, but we ought to listen and read and obey for ourselves. So the passage for today, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and it reads this. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones, put a little star by that, atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. There's an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the world. Well, let me set this up for you. John, at this point, is, he's an old man. He's an old man, so he's approaching this body of believers, not from a place of, like, disrespect when he calls them children. He's basically taking the position of an elder. Young people, listen to me. 
those less experienced than me, listen to me. I have some wisdom for you. I need to share something with you. And you need to know this, that in the second century church, the idea of, you'll hear this word, Gnosticism, it's a, it's a funny little word, I suppose, it sounds weird, Gnosticism, which became a question um, that the believer asked about. Gnosticism, what does that mean? It's essentially this, now that I'm learning about my faith, now that I'm learning about sin, now that I'm following Christ, what happens if I mess up? What happens? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, I, I, okay, I believe. I have faith, but nobody's perfect, so what happens when I mess up? And what John is saying here, he's saying that everything that I teach you, it's so that you don't sin. But if you do, Jesus is still your answer. Now, how could Jesus be both the question and the answer? Right, Because what we're ultimately saying is Jesus is the way that you get away from sin, but then if you get back into sin or you continue to do something that is not of God, Jesus is still the answer. What John is saying here is that Christ is our defense. He's saying that even when you are challenged, even when your faith fails you, even when things get too much for you to handle, and you make a you decision. How many of you made you decisions before? I definitely have. And if you're not sure if you have a you decision, is the one that made you feel better. It's one that said, well, I just think, I just feel, I just believe. A you decision is one that benefits you, makes you feel better, Solve something for you without asking God. So he says, there are going to be times where you make you decisions. And you're going to need a defense. Well, we have to understand that to have a defense or to need a defense means there is something that needs to be protected. It's basketball season. I'm a huge basketball fan. But in whatever the sport is, there's typically an offense and a defense. And it is the role of the defense to do what? To stop or prevent the other team from scoring. Because when the other team scores, you are at risk of losing. So what you are protecting is the fact that you cannot lose. So if Christ, if our defense, Christ becomes the very mechanism, the very method that says, wait a second, there is something of value at risk, and Christ has to defend it. We see in the court of law, in the, in the judicial system, there is also a defense. There's a defense attorney. There is somebody that is going to be an advocate for the accused, right? The court of law says, says we are innocent until proven guilty. Well, I don't know about you, but when it comes to the court of sin, I felt guilty way before I felt innocent. I've definitely rolled in the guilty train way before 
I felt like I was freed from it, even after I was freed from sin. I can recall a point in my life where I carried a ball and chain of sin right along with me. Not understanding that once Christ forgave me, that I was set free. And I was still following or still being followed by the sin of my past. So what, what makes for a good defense? I mean, what makes for a good defense? Some people say that defense leads to offense. In other words, you play good defense, it turns around for you to build you momentum to work on your behalf. Well, in a court of law, you have the prosecutor. The prosecutor works off of based, is based on what you did or what you were accused of doing. And it decides what to charge you with. So the prosecution in a court case brings the case to say, person A, you are accused of doing this, 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 and this. And they bring forth the charges against you. This is how sin works. Sin brings forth the charges against you. Sin brings forth, oh, it doesn't matter that you're a good person. You need to be held accountable for that decision. Have you ever been in a situation where you've done everything right, but then all of a sudden it seems like you make one mistake and somebody won't let that one mistake go? They want to hold you accountable to that one thing despite all the things that you did that was well. Well, that's the prosecution. That's how sin works. Okay, great. You're nice to people. Yeah, but there's something in your past or there's something in your current that you must be condemned for. Usually, in the court of law, when two opposing sides can't get together and come up with an agreement, there's usually a middleman or middlewoman that they put in there called a mediator. How many of you have heard that term, a mediator? When two people or two opposing sides can't get along, what does the mediator do? The mediator is in place not to pick a side, but to try to get everybody to hear each other out. They listen, they watch, they translate, looking for the best outcome. The mediator keeps the main thing the main thing. If the dispute is over land, and all these feelings and all these emotions and all of this whatever doesn't matter. The dispute is about land, let's stick to the main thing. In the court of law, the mediator is typically the person who's trying to get the best outcome. But the defense, the defense is the one that stands before the jury and no matter what it is, they're painting the picture that the person being accused is still human and either needs to be let off the hook or certainly doesn't need the maximum punishment for that thing. Because the defense acts as the protector. The defense acts as the one who wants us to wants to make it seen or make it known that this, this person is still human and deserves a chance. Now you might be thinking, what? What does the court of law have to do with us praying? What does that have to do 
with Christ, what does that have to do with salvation? For crying out loud, what does that have to do with church on Sunday? Because sin very much is like the prosecutor, but Christ is very much like the mediator and the defense attorney. This is what John is trying to get them to understand. He's trying to get us to understand. He's trying to get you. I want you to understand that Christ, Jesus, is in fact the very thing that comes to defense for you in the midst of your mess-ups. There are many people right now that are incarcerated because they messed up. There are many people right now that are, have practically been thrown under the jail because they made a bad mistake. They made a poor choice. They're in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were with the wrong crowd. They acted off of their emotions. And now everything is over for them and they have no future because they messed up. See, John is saying, hey, I know you said you follow Jesus and you're trying to do right. But, but what if I blow it, though? What if I messed up? What if I mess up? And the text uses this word atone. This atonement is what he says. So what does it mean to atone? Have you heard that word before? What does it mean to atone? He says that Christ is the atone. He's the sacrifice that atones. Walk with me in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verses 5 through 6. And the word of God says this, but he, Jesus, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. See, to atone means to satisfy by a means of sacrifice, to give up something for the good of something else, to give up of yourself because the thing that could be lost is so valuable. Jesus became the atonement for our sin. So, when you mess up, what John wants us to understand is in the midst of your mess up, the same Jesus who you were trying to follow is the atonement for when you blow it. Because he gives you second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Not because you recklessly and frivolously are like, I can do whatever I want. But instead, he comes to us and he gives us the opportunity to come to him for reconciliation. To fix. To restore to change, to give us another chance. In other words, he gave something in exchange for something else. What? What did he give? He gave of his body. He gave of his blood. He gave of his own freedom to be taken, wounded, beat, 
things that you and I should have been thrown under the spiritual jail. But he took it on so that you wouldn't. See, today, I'm very reflective because as we've been going through this series of prayer, I've been spending more time in prayer and I just keep hearing the Lord say, remind my people of what I've done. So today, I don't have a whole bunch of ha ha, rah rah. Super excited. Woohoo! Let's throw streamers. That'll be on Baptism Sunday. But today I have to take the time to get us to remember what he did and why he did it. It's for the times that we mess up. We interact with one another, husbands, wives parents, children, friends, family, partners, co-workers. The list goes on and on and on. And guess what? We messed up some things between us. We've done some things and made some decisions and been justified in those decisions. I'm not standing here admitting I was wrong. I'm standing admitting that I need to be held accountable for things. We all need to be held accountable for things. Sometimes when we interact with people, we say, okay, we come to the table to talk about it. Why? If we're honest, we show up so that other person can apologize. You don't necessarily show up with the intention of you being the one that concedes your position. You often say, well, I guess what's good, I'll go. When I get there, they better be ready to be, say sorry. And you don't hear a single word they have to say if it don't start with an S and come close to sorry. Because this is how we operate. That we sit behind our egos. We sit behind these things and we make excuses. And can I sum it up for you like this? Because we sometimes lack what it means to forgive. We don't know what it means to Forgive, And if we use Christ as an example in this atonement, Christ is literally saying, John is telling us that Christ literally says this, even if you mess up, Jesus is there to make it right. He can forgive you, which means despite your mistake, he's right there to accept your sorry. But we got to realize that when we say sorry, sometimes we say sorry, or it's hard for us to say sorry because that means we lost. Okay, that's what I feel like it means when I say I'm sorry. Because it seems like we're, 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 we're conceding because we're giving in or we're, we're at a cost. We give someone or something the upper hand, but can I tell you that because of Christ's atonement, Forgiveness is free. There's no cost to it. The only thing it may cost is your ego. The only thing it may cost is your pride. The only thing it may cost is you saying simply, you know what, I was wrong. 
And if you're not willing to admit that your action was wrong, I got to ask you this. Did you go to the Lord for that thing first? Because if you didn't go to the Lord with it, now the outcome that you face, maybe you face it because you did not go to the Lord. See, forgiveness does not cost anything. And it's really, 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 really hard to forgive somebody who really hurt you. But can I put it to you like this? Could you imagine? I mean, you give somebody $5 and they don't do what you want them to do. You mad and won't forgive them. Over $5. But could you imagine giving of your life, being battered and bruised and wounded, killed, and the very person you died for, the very person you planned to die for, will deny you in public, won't live out their faith. The thing that you died for, you talk about being mad. I give you a dollar, and you don't say hi to me tomorrow, I'm going to have attitude. But here's Jesus giving of himself entirely. And we don't always appreciate that. Or recognize it. So what happens? What happens? What happens when in our relationships, when something doesn't go our way, what happens? When they call you, do you pick up? When they text you, do you respond? When they come in the room, do you leave out the room? I would imagine most of us, when we're at odds with somebody, we, we avoid them, do we not? And I would even challenge you to think this. When you've done something opposite of God, many of us in this room avoid God and we avoid him. We don't pray. We don't come to church. We don't listen. We don't do anything because we avoid God when we know we're not in good standings with him. All of a sudden, we can't go. We're too busy. I have to ask myself, when my prayer life gets all shattered and all inconsistent, what's really going on? Is it God? No, nah, because he's been there to say, he's been available. But if I'm not praying, if I'm not talking to him, if I'm not calling on him, I have to ask myself why. You got to ask yourself why. When you haven't talked to God in a moment, why? I would suggest because you feel distant from him. Because you don't actually know if you're in alignment with the very thing that he anticipates and expects from you. See, you don't need to ghost God. So you ghost people, you stop listening to people, you stop responding to people when you feel guilty about something, when you know you're wrong about something, when you think there's going to be a confrontation about something, when somebody or something needs to be forgiven. When you need to reconcile, when you need to fix, and you're not ready to fix it, come on, I know that's how I am. If I'm not ready to talk yet, leave me alone. They say, I've been calling you. Oh, really? I had no idea. We need to, oh, I, I, had, I just stopped by the other day. You did? They say, I saw your, I saw your car in the driveway, huh? I'm 
must have been asleep when you know full well when they came in the driveway, you cut off all the lights, told the kids sit down before they get a whooping. If they make a scene, make a noise. Because the person at your door, you did not want to see or talk to. See, but you don't have to ghost God. We don't have to ghost God. See, the Holy Spirit brings forth conviction. Conviction is that gut feeling that you get like, man, I know I was wrong. I know I shouldn't have done that. You ever got that gut feeling, that conviction that says you were wrong and you shouldn't have done something? And then you call the person that you know going to tell you you was okay for doing the thing that you know you shouldn't have did? I got those friends. I got the ones that I call that's going to tell me, bro, you know you're wrong for that. Oh, but I got the friend that'll be like, hey, man, look, she deserved it. So that's how we operate. We want people to go along with the things that we do. And we don't want to be held accountable for the things that we don't. John is saying here, look, on this walk, on this faith walk, on this journey that you're going to have, guess what? You're going to try your best to do the right thing, and then you're going to end up doing the wrong thing. And if you do the wrong thing, Jesus is still your answer. One of the jobs is of the Holy Spirit, and John 16 says this, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, whether you admit it or not, you know if you are outside of the will of God. Whether you admit to me that you did a thing or didn't do a thing. Oh, you know when you're wrong. You know when you're wrong. How many of you don't know when you're wrong? That was a close one. Some of y'all was debating. It was like, nah, I'm just itching. Whether you admit it or not, you know when you are wrong. But here's the thing. There's nothing like being held hostage for something that God is willing to forgive you for. But you won't forgive yourself. Or you won't take the deep breath and just take the L, take the loss. You know what? I messed up. You know what? This is not about my pride. It's not about my ego. I messed up. The quicker we can admit that we messed up, the quicker God can play his part and do his thing because Jesus already atoned. Jesus was already the sacrifice. Jesus was already there for forgiveness. So the only thing between you feeling better and you feeling guilty is your willingness to accept the forgiveness that Jesus gave and accept it onto yourself or for yourself. You've been struggling with something for years. And guess what? The only thing standing between you and forgiveness is your willingness to accept it. The only thing that's standing between you and that family relationship that has been tarnished for all these years, the only difference between you and that is your willingness to forgive the other party. That's it. Simple forgiveness. There's freedom in forgiveness. You got to understand that when you allow yourself to forgive, when you allow yourself to seek forgiveness, that is where you become free. 
Because the guilt just piles on on top of each other. If you're not careful, the guilt of all of your decisions, the guilt of your transgressions will pile up and pile up and pile up. And it's like you're just digging yourself a hole. And as you dig yourself a hole, as you take dirt out of a hole and you throw it on top, you get in deeper and deeper and guess what? The pile of dirt gets higher and higher. The freedom is in the forgiveness. See, we want to be free from the turmoil and the mental anguish. We long to be free from guilt and pain. In our hearts, we want to know that God loves us and God forgives us. Well, I'm going to tell you just like John says. You come to church every Sunday, and the reason that I teach you, the reason that I preach to you, the reason that we do Bible studies, the reason that we have prayer groups, the reason that we teach you these principles of giving, we teach you these principles of Forgiveness, we push you and want to move you forward. The reason that we do that is so that you choose Jesus and you begin to live for him and sin not. That you get closer to him so that he can use you for his glory and he may be glorified through the way that you live. I do that every single week so that you can go forth in freedom without sin. But I want to take this moment to simply tell you, even if you do sin, my answer to you is still the same. Jesus, I preach to you so that you go forth in a forward-moving relationship. And sometimes, sometimes our weakness takes us on detours. Sometimes we hit hard times. Sometimes we make bad decisions. Sometimes the circumstances of our life will pull us away from the Lord. But our anguish and our despair and our guilt, it either can push us away or it can lead us to him. So can I just say to you today that whatever it is, that may slow you down or have you second-guessing your Jesus journey, whatever it is that has you moving in a forward-moving direction, whatever it is that's causing you to say, you know what, I'm headed one way, but man, I hit a wall and I don't know if I can get back. That little thing on the inside that's telling you, oh man, you done messed up now. Can I tell you it's not over? Can I tell you and remind you that all you have to do is remember that Jesus his sacrifice atones. His sacrifice brings you back. Your sin is never outside of the realm of God's grace. Now, I'm not telling you to go out here and run amok and do what you want to do intentionally, but sometimes our flesh gets the best of us. And we need to know that in the midst of it getting the best of us, we can come back. We can be, and we will be restored. So the question we should ask ourselves when we mess up. It isn't, should I talk to God about my mess up? It's how fast can I run back to God after I've messed up? 
If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.